Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have Mark Leslie Lefebvre. Yes. I love Mark. He is such a good guy and um, I've known him for a while now, both of us. And um, yeah, he's, he's just great and fun and funny. It's a great interview. Yeah. He has lots of information for us. And um, this, this interview, we talked a little bit about his own writing and then um, we talked about like, how tips for authors who would like to get their books, their print books into bookstores and libraries and um, kind of taking the long view of your mm-hmm. career. Yeah. He had some good information and good thoughts on that, like how to use your IP, different ways you can use it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's super smart and lots of experience with books and book selling. And so that was a, I think it'll be helpful. Great. Yeah. Well, I have no news this week. Nothing new, no baby, no nothing. So we're going to let Sarah talk for a little while because I've got nothing. Okay. Well, I have a couple of things. Um, I was on the Authors Love Readers podcast, and that's um, Patricia McLenn's podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, Jamie's been on it as well. So yep. if you search for that, we'll both come up. And it was a fun interview. It's a little bit different. It's more yeah. reader, reader focused. Mm-hmm. And so some questions about, you know, that I don't normally get asked. So that right. was fun. Mm-hmm. And um, that will be in the show notes. Oh, and I was also going to say, I'm going to put a link in the show notes for um, one thing Mark talks about is if you want to work with bookstores and libraries, having, we called it a one sheet. And I have one of those. So I'll link to mine in the show notes if you want to look at it. And it's got like all your books listed, all the ISBN numbers and the price points so that you can just send those out. And I just did it for one of my, my most popular series is what I right. did. I guess you could do one for each individual book, right? I just did it for one. So that one will be in the show yeah. notes. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see. My other bit of news is I have restarted an uh, old podcast that I pod faded on. Like I started it back in twenty. 14, 15, and I did like 15 episodes, and it was for readers who like mysteries. And so mm-hmm. I've gone back and I've re recorded some episodes, and I'm going to do it in seasons. And I've, it's been a lot of fun, even though it's been Good. a lot more work than I thought it would be. I was like, oh, this will be easy. I already have the feed, but yeah. you know, it's always more work than you think yes. it's going to be. Right. But, um, yeah. So I'm in each episode, I'm talking, I'm taking one book, one mystery, and talking about like the themes and the tropes and the characters and kind of trying to break down why it's popular and what works really well in that book. So it's been, it's been good for me as yes. a author to look at it in such detail. Right. Yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. I, I haven't listened yet, so um, I can't wait to listen. So. Well, you're not my ideal listener. No, <laughs> so. I'm not, but I, I okay. still want to support. Oh. Well, that's sweet of you. So yeah, and um, yeah, that's I'm getting still getting some other stuff writing like admin writing yeah. stuff done. So I'm yeah. I'm close to wrapping all that up and getting excited about getting back to writing. But um, yeah, 
and it's well, finally the weather is finally cool here. Oh, and I'm able to go out and go for a walk, and it's just yeah. gorgeous. It's like right. this is the best time of the year now. And it's for these four days, it's been awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I've been outside as much as possible. Yeah, that's too. That's too. Yeah. All right. Well, we should get on with the interview. All right. Sounds good. All right. Today, we're really excited to have Mark Leslie Lefave with us. Did I say your name correctly? Oh my God, that was beautiful. Okay, good. That's a relief. So let me read your bio and then Jamie will start us off with the questions. Um, Mark Leslie Lefebvre is a Canadian author of horror and speculative fiction, a professional speaker, and a bookseller with more than a quarter century of experience in writing, publishing, and bookselling. Mark is a former president of the Canadian Booksellers Association and former director of self-publishing and author relations for Kobo and current director of business development at draft to digital he is the host of the Stark Reflections podcast and author of a series of books about writing, book selling, and publishing. So quite the impressive bio. Yes. Wow. Who is that guy? I, I was going to say, I would have been a lot more like in awe of you if I'd read that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> if only I'd known. I wish I had known. I wish I had known. Yeah. Uh, so Sarah touched on the genres you write in, but tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of what you do in those genres and then how did you get into writing? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a big chicken. So I've always been attracted to the darkness and the creepy mm-hmm. stuff. You know, my mom would always say, well, why can't you write a nice romance story? Cause that's what she liked to read. Yeah. And I would always write about the monsters under the bed or the things hiding in the shadows. And so a lot of my fiction, uh, I, I called it horror, although technically um, because it wasn't science fiction. It didn't have science and it wasn't fantasy, but like epic fantasy and stuff. So uh, sorcerers and dragons and stuff. So a horror seemed to be the genre somewhere in between, although I, I've, I've, I've more likened it to like Twilight Zone style fiction. So the kind of eerie, strange story you see on oh, cool. Twilight Zone. Now, Black Mirror maybe as a more modern show, but Black Mirror is a lot more science oriented. Mm-hmm. So it's that weird fiction stuff. I also ended up writing nonfiction, a series of books for a traditional publisher, uh, true ghost stories or tales told as true. I say with air quotes, uh, depending on your perspective, just sharing those true ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I realized I tried to avoid fantasy for a long, long time because it wasn't epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that uh, my Canadian werewolf series, for example, is actually urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I avoided urban fantasy uh, because I didn't think uh, uh, in early urban fantasy I encountered was very literary and high end. And I was like, well, no, I'm not that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other urban fantasy was uh, a little bit far further into paranormal and, and mine, mine was drawn back a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. So, but then I finally embraced it and re rebranded that series to much success. Uh, ironically, when you rebrand a series to the right audience, they actually like it and they find it. <laughs> Who would have known that? Awesome. I wish I had known. <laughs> Who would have thought that? We might talk about that later. More of that yeah. later. Uh, well, and so, so how did you get? And so you got into writing just to kind of purge your demons, so to speak. Or? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I started with these little stick figure cartoons uh, when I was a kid because mm-hmm. I, I used to tell these stories with uh, Fisher Price um, figures. <laughs> kid, yeah. and I would love like I. I mean, even as an older child, who shouldn't have been playing with. Fisher Price figurines. I loved it because I was telling myself stories using these little characters, mm-hmm. and I would have these continuing epics that would last weeks and weeks, mm-hmm. and almost like an episodic TV show where I go to be continued because mom mm-hmm. mom called me for dinner. Yeah, so I'd have some sort of cliffhanger that I would come back to, and then I discovered the permanence of of these stick figure cartoons where I was writing it down, and you could come back, and it was there. It wasn't mm-hmm. just in the moment. Mm-hmm. 
And, and then I fell in love with words. So like the little cartoon bubbles, there weren't enough. There wasn't mm-hmm. enough space for the words mm-hmm. that I wanted to put in there. Right. Uh, and I started, I think I submitted my very first story to uh, CBC, uh, Canadian Broadcast. Um, uh, uh, they had a, a contest for young writers uh, mm-hmm. and you could submit your story. And I think I was 15 when I got my first rejection. Ah, uh, very nice. I was typing the stories up back in the old yeah. days. And, and, and that was the first of thousands of rejections that I received <laughs> in my writing career. But it kind of, yeah, I migrated into starting to mail things off, getting Writer's Digest magazine and, and just mailing those stories away. And that's kind of how I started because that was the going, I guess that was the going wisdom was, right. you know, build a career, build a name in the sh- yeah. small markets, and yeah. then maybe an agent or editor will take your, you know, take yeah. you seriously. Right, right. Yeah. Well, so you've had such a varied career. You've done quite a bit, but what would you say was your first big success? Uh, from writing? Uh, actually, my very first uh, published horror story, uh, I think, only because, and I, and I consider it a, a big success because uh, it's a story that, I mean, I recently read at a, a virtual event where we were doing like midnight ghost story thing. And I, and I read it and freaked everyone out today. So it's like, Oh, it's still, that story still works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it received honorable mention in the year's best fantasy and horror, which oh, is which cool. was a very, uh, and, and the reason I think <laughs> the reason I considered it success was <laughs> I was a huge fan of horror author, Richard Lehman. Mm-hmm. And my name was on the same page as uh-huh. one of as his name because he was right. I mean he had like six stories listed yeah. honorable mention and I had one but um I think that would be the first time I actually felt like I had achieved something pretty cool that's really neat yeah that is so cool so tell us what you wish you'd known about writing and craft when you started uh, so many things yeah um and that's the the challenge is I continually learn new things and go, oh man, wow, mm-hmm. I wish I'd known. So that that's a common thing. I actually I was jotting down <laughs> some of the things <laughs> from about writing and craft. I think I think the thing that I I, I wish I'd known related to that was um, I didn't realize that I would still be learning about the craft of writing. Mm-hmm. In the early days, I remember struggling to find uh, a writer's group. I was in a small mm-hmm. town in northern Ontario, 2,000 people. Oh, wow. And I remember finding a, a writing group. There was a, an ad in the little mini weekly paper that we would, we would get, and it was for a writer's group. And I remember going there. And I remember uh, a friend of my mother's. Mrs. Story was there and, and I used to hang out like we played hockey together and mm-hmm. did all the things that kids did. I had no idea. So now when you're a kid, people who are, she was probably in her thirties mm-hmm. <laughs> seemed mm-hmm. ancient, right? Like yeah. they're, they're like old people that old people don't yeah. do things, right? They don't yeah. learn new things. And, and I, and I remember Mrs. Story being in the group and there was just maybe four or five of us together. And I remember being in awe that somebody who was already established like mm-hmm. as an adult and a mm-hmm. parent, and a family, you know, matriarch of this family yeah. um, that she could be wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and, and I, and I had the hint early on, you know, I think I was 14, 15 mm-hmm. when that happened. I had that hint early on, but I never realized that I would still be thirstily drinking. Right. Uh, not only the business, uh, but the craft of writing and mm-hmm. constantly improving. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. It yeah. is very interesting how you can write your first book and you know, you feel like it's, you know, maybe not 
as perfect as you would like it, but you know, you can get it to a point where you feel good about it. And then later you go back and read it and you're like, oh my goodness, I've learned so much. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's almost a little embarrassing, but yeah. the, we do just continue to grow and learn. And it is an amazing industry. The industry changes, but then writing, you can always grow as a writer. So that's very mm-hmm. encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just getting in that group, I think it was probably so great. I, I, you know, highly recommend that because that's how I got started too. And um, just being in a group of other authors who are wanting to do better and wanting to learn more and stuff is always cool. That's, that's, I think that what you say is really important and that's, Mm -hmm. and that's why um, going to conferences and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and continually learning because you're learning just as much from the other people in the room as you are from mm-hmm. the person on stage, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And that's another thing that's really, really important. Yeah. Is don't just pay attention to the the main attraction. And that's so what I learned in university was it wasn't just learning from the professor. Mm-hmm. I learned how to, I learned life in mm-hmm. so many ways. You know, mm-hmm. I learned how to live. I learned how to survive. I learned how, <laughs> well, I learned how to get by doing the least amount of work for the yeah. most payback. <laughs> I mean, all of these little things. Critical, life <laughs> learned, <still there. laughs> critical thinking, right? Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Learned how to actually uh, take information in and go, wait a second. And this was from a great course, the Writer Literature and Society, where we read a book, but we studied the culture it came out of to mm-hmm. understand. It wasn't just a story about this, mm-hmm. but there were all these other elements from the biases from the writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was early on. And, and, and obviously, I continue to apply that uh, to this day because you're like, oh, that's neat. Yeah. But I have a confirmation bias, so why do I like it or why do I not like it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and understanding what it, what is it about this fiction that I enjoy? Why do I like yeah. it? Right. Yeah. Right. Breaking it down. So and that's in- interesting. I think for me, because well, because I started later, you know, I, but I think it's the same for anybody who wants to write and they're around a bunch of people who don't write. And But when you go and you're in a group with them, it's a validation of some sort. Even if you're at the very beginning of your career, I remember walking into RWA and after about five or 10 minutes of being there thinking, I found my people. Like (laughs) after 40 something years, I found my people. And um, so it's really, I just think on top of just learn, you learn from other people, but just being in that group is just a great way to validate what your dream you know, yeah. and what it's, you feel like you need to say. Yeah. It's as powerful as love at first sight, right? It is. You people, it, and, and it's funny it that really we all is. have that. I found yeah. my tribe. I found my people like you're, yeah. and that's what I felt in that group when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, Oh my God, yeah. there are other people like this. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and I encounter it every single time. And, and that is so true because you suddenly feel like, Oh, you, you get it. Like mm-hmm. you're, when you're sitting there doing something else, you're actually writing and you understand that I'm writing right now. Right. Right, right. Uh, but not everyone would get that. So right. yeah, you live in so your true. head too. I oh good, I do too. Nobody else in my house does. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. There are yeah, people like us in the world. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's well, switching gears. What about marketing? What do you wish you had known about marketing? Oh God, uh, so much. <laughs> There's still so much I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I think. I think one of the things uh, that comes back to haunt me is. Um, uh, I wish I had known, I wish I'd been smart enough to take the advice I've been giving to authors for years. Um, so for example, I mean, up until recently, uh, I had three novels that were books, one in a series. 
and, 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 you know, apart from have your, have a newsletter, like own, yeah, own, right. own that connection with your readers is one of those critical things you can do as a writer, but um, you know, writing a lot, but also, uh, all of the writers I knew that were, you know, six and seven figure authors yeah. were writing series books, damn it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I, I didn't start taking that advice until just this year when I was like, I better actually get back on this. People have been yeah. asking for the next book, but right. I've just been squirrel. Uh, so I think, uh, I think that's the kind of advice is actually pay attention. <laughs> you should pay attention to the advice you're giving other people for a change, you loser. Uh, <laughs> so I'm finally starting to take that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that can make people feel better too, though, because we all know there's certain things that are good to do, but sometimes it just takes a while to figure out how to do it or yeah. to say, okay, yes, I should do that. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was, yeah. I'm at my uh, daughter's and she works for a publisher. She does PA stuff for them. She works, she does our editing. So she's kind of, she knows enough about the indie publishing world and her husband, the three of us were having a conversation and we were talking about Ingram spark and about how you can do the things Sarah does, you know, the large print and libraries and all that stuff. And, and my son-in-law said, well, do you do that? And I said, no. And then he said, why? I said, I don't know. <laughs> it was, it's just because I, don't have enough headspace. And so my daughter was like, Oh my gosh, let me do that for you. What do you, you know? And I'm like, that is so embarrassing because that is something we've told people for, you know, ever here. And I know it because I see Sarah and I see Sarah having such success with it. I should be like jumping on that, but I haven't been. So, but you have to pick, right. You only have so much time. You have to pick the things now. I mean, Sarah, last year, this time we were at Haslam's bookstore in St. Pete, Florida, a novel sink. And, and Sarah's books are on the shelf at this independent bookstore. And I'm like, how the heck did, and that's when I learned that Sarah makes them returnable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Right. Uh, So this year I used Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I did that with my hardcovers. Mm -hmm. Now I did hardcovers, I've known uh, hardcovers last three to five times longer than paperbacks and libraries prefer them. So this year, again, when I rebranded, relaunched, uh, started to move forward in the series, I did hardcovers for library. I didn't Uh do large print yet. I know I should, but it's one Mm -hmm. of those things. But I also uh, said, well, I'm going to make them uh, returnable. Mm -hmm. I got burned by returnable Mm -hmm. in 2004, but I saw that and went, well, they're more expensive, but less likely mm-hmm. <laughs> less yeah, likely to be a bulk order, which screwed yeah, me in exactly. last yeah. time. And and maybe this will make it a little bit more appealing uh, for a place like Haslam's who mm-hmm. says, well, we had a request for this one book. Why don't we get his other books? Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. I don't mm-hmm. know. But again, yeah. I learned... I learned that last year, Sarah, and I finally applied it. (laughs) Well, I think we all have our list of to-dos, you know, especially if you go to conferences or you're a podcast listener and you're like, oh, and you have that mental list. And so like I'm between books right now and I'm just trying to mark stuff off my list because I'm not good at doing them while I'm writing. So it's like, I have to have a writing phase and I have like this phase where I do all this other stuff. So I think we all have that list of Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was so slow getting into large print because remember Joanna Penn was talking about it years ago. And I knew that that would work because I knew my readers liked print and mm-hmm. I knew that a lot of my comp authors were traditional. And mm-hmm. I was like, I could, you know, make an effort to sell to libraries and bookstores because of that. And I just felt like it took me forever. So even though 
you know, it may seem like you're slow, but it's still okay. If you, yeah. you just yeah. keep going, you know, yes. and get it so, done when you can. And, and that maybe is the, the, the best day to have started this was, was yesterday, but the yeah. second best day is right. today. Today, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like planting a tree. That's saying yeah. 30 years ago is better, but the second yeah. best day is today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career and looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? Um, uh, in the early days, I assumed that all writers were poor. Uh, my mom uh, wanting to take care of me, wanting to protect yeah. me, because I was like, I oh, just like, I want, want to be. Well, I wanted to be a stunt man. I wanted to be <laughs> Spider Man. Uh, I couldn't be those two things because I'm a big chicken. But I um, and I couldn't get near spiders and radioactivity enough yeah. to try to get bit by one. <laughs> um, but she had said we'd watch watch a made for TV movie or something together, and she would. Because it was like the one TV in the house and everyone watched the same mm-hmm. show. That was back in those those crazy days. Yeah. <laughs> and and she would there would be a writer like with cans of spam or whatever and, yeah. and, and you'd see them struggling to go see. That's what it, you're gonna need a good job. Yeah. Um and so I think I think I had adopted that a starving artist mentality and I didn't realize well, again, I didn't realize that self-publishing was actually going to change that dramatically for a lot of people. Because in traditional right. publishing, I mean, the average the average income is still less than $20,000 a year uh, across yeah. the board. And, and actually, yeah. to be quite honest, with indie authors, it's the same thing, too. For yeah. the majority, mm-hmm. the majority of people will, will maybe make 100 bucks a year if they're lucky. Yeah. That's the reality. There are a lot of people doing significantly better, but there's still hundreds of thousands not. Right. Um, so I think... Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I, um, I now again, I'm, I'm lucky. Now, I, I, I got a job in the book selling industry when I, when I finished university, or I was still at the uh, tail end of my last year of university when I got a part-time job in book selling. And that was because of my mom's advice to get a good job. And I was like, well, if I have to get a good job, I better do something I love. And I love books. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't regret that. Right. I don't regret that because that, book selling career combined with my love of writing has created opportunities for me that, I mean, I am so blessed. I'm mm-hmm. so lucky that, you know, uh, when I put that hat on, uh, the, the, the Mark, uh, the, the Mark industry guy, as opposed mm-hmm. to Mark, the writer, I'm so lucky that it never feels like work. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Well, so tell us a little bit, since we're talking about how you also work with draft to digital because you've also worked with Kobo in the past, but you're very yeah. much plugged into the sort of indie world and the industry side of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, uh, applying the passion from writing in, mm-hmm. into the book selling thing. So, I mean, right. I bought a, I bought a print on demand machine an espresso book machine for the bookstore mm-hmm. I was managing mm-hmm. back in 2008, nine. Wow. Yeah. And and then I finally learned after years of of thumbing my nose at pe- people when people came in with self published books it was like oh that's vanity publishing mm-hmm. because you can't find a publisher because you're not good enough and and honestly most of the time it <laughs> it was obvious they didn't yeah. have an editor and it was obviously they paid yeah. thousands of dollars just to get a thousand copies printed right. And, right and and it was embarrassing and and I wanted to support some of them so I would buy the book myself and and try try to read some of them now some of them came along that were amazing like Terry Fallis Canadian uh, author who's gone on to huge success and bestseller lists and uh stage plays and and made for TV series based on his books 
um, he was one of the first self-published authors where I went, oh my God, there's something really, really good here. Mm -hmm. And it was shortly after that, that uh, I was in contact with Kobo because I was putting uh, books up on Kobo for the authors I was working with in my store, mm -hmm. as well as my own stuff. I'd been self-publishing back in the day when, when there was no 70% from KDP. Right. Yeah. I mean, thanks to <laughs> Apple. Yeah. Uh, Apple's the first place that did it. And then Amazon followed suit. Thank goodness. Otherwise yeah. authors probably wouldn't be making the living they are today. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and then uh, when Kobo was looking to build something to make it easier for self-publishing, uh, you know, I was uh, like, that job description was me. I, mm -hmm. I told Michael Tamlin when we, we sat down to talk about that, I said, you just described me. That's me. Like this yeah. job is, is made for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and so those opportunities seem to have come along. When I left, I left Kobo um, uh, because I, I kind of did what I needed to do and I didn't want to move up because I liked playing in the weeds, but I didn't also didn't want to be managing a team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I wanted to go back to the writing that had drawn me. And I was tired of the commute and all of those things. Mm -hmm. So it kind of felt right to leave. And ironically it was, you know, this time of year at Novelist Inc, uh, a year later that uh, I was having drinks with the good folks from draft to digital. And I realized I missed building cool things for writers. I missed mm -hmm that and i was mm -hmm. still consulting and doing stuff like that but it wasn't the same yeah. as in being able to you know, actually have people smarter than me that i get to work with like <laughs> right. the developers and go oh i can have a brilliant idea but who's going to build it right so yeah. now <laughs> it's my role at d2d is more the hey i have these really cool ideas or i'm talking to authors and that's inspiring us to come up with this idea now we need really smart people to build it right. um and that's the the thrill i think that i've gotten the pleasure of doing and that's what i get to do at d2d is kind of you know, try to take these blue sky visions and go, oh, yeah. wouldn't it be cool if authors could do this? And what I love about D2D is, because um, I'd known the guys, I'd known Dan and Chris and the guys there for years mm -hmm. from conferences. Like I think Hugh Howie introduced me to them at Novelist Inc. way many, many years ago. And, and we hit it off because they're, uh, the guys, the the heart at D2D is in the right place. It's it's basically, what can we build to make it easier for an author to do stuff so they can do the thing that's most valuable for all of us, right. which is right. write more books. Right. <laughs> and thus sell more books. Yeah. Well, that is great. I um, love that. Yeah. yeah. So just for people who don't aren't familiar with Drafted Digital, just give us a quick... A quick summary of what they do to help authors. Yeah, so I mean, if you're familiar with Smashwords, which is was the first player to come along to be there for authors in the early days, like I was on Amazon and Smashwords in the early days. Mm -hmm. um, it's like uh, Smashwords 3.0 uh, in in many many ways, and I love and I love Mark Coker and I love Smashwords and it's still a great platform and retailer to to sell your stuff on. Mm -hmm. But what Draft to Digital did is they took the process of convert, converting your book from a Word document to an ebook, free templates, mm -hmm. push a, a couple buttons, automated end matter. So basically they, they allow you uh, two ways you can use them. Actually one of two ways you can use them. You can go to draft digital. You can get, get your EPUB converted for free. It's one of the mm -hmm. best free EPUB tools on the market and then download the Mobi, download the EPUB and do whatever you want with it. Sell it direct on your website, whatever. Mm -hmm. I actually have been using them for years. Even when I worked at Kobo, make mm -hmm. my EPUB there. Upload that to Kindle, upload that to Kobo directly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then also use it for book funnel and stuff. Uh, you've got the free books to read links as well, universal book links, which are geolocated. Uh, and that way you can have a single link go to all the retailers. Or if you're exclusive to Amazon, you still have a single link. You don't have to have eight Amazon links, like one for Canada, one for US, one for UK, one for Australia, right? So you can have a single link that's geo targeted and put your affiliate 
ID so you can make <laughs> affiliate revenue off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, it, it basically, it's free. The, 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 the pros are you could use them to distribute to multiple locations mm-hmm. um, to save yourself time of having to have multiple accounts. Uh, the con, I guess, would be that uh, they shave 10% off your margin. So instead of 70% that you get directly, you make 60%. So you kind of weigh the pros and cons. Um, I'm also, um, I've been leveraging uh, and just recently hired uh, somebody, a uh, virtual assistant, and, and I can assign her access to my draft to digital account where she doesn't have access to my finances mm-hmm. and doesn't have access to my sales. She can go in and add titles and edit things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really cool feature that you, yeah. I think you can get that from Apple directly, but you can't get it from Kindle. You can't get yeah. it from Kobo. Yeah. Um, and that's, say, yeah. Draft to digital, like I'm wide you know, I try to upload, you know, at all the different stores that I can, but I use draft to digital and I have like since 2012, when you guys first came out, they, they saved me because I was trying to create my own EPUBs and my yeah. own Mobi files. And, and that was just like beyond me. And it was not what I wanted to spend my time on. So that's yeah, how I found draft to digital. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, thank you. Cause it made it easier. So I've always had my books there, but now I use them for library distribution. Because, you know, that's like something that's a huge market that I don't think any's think about. So even if you're not, don't want to use the aggregator portion of it for all your books, you can use it for a library distribution. Yeah, there are a lot of authors who do that, right? Who may go direct to wherever they can and then use draft to digital for like going to direct to Tolino is almost impossible. Yeah. Um, but uh, places like Tolino, Vivlio, which is uh, the mm-hmm. Tolino of France, where we, mm-hmm. we've seen huge growth in the two of those markets in the last year. Um, but, but yeah, many, uh, li- many library markets and many more to come because that's part of my job is uh, finding new partners to distribute to as well as new uh, t- uh, tools. The other thing that I've been using draft to digital like the print for is, is um, the automated uh, creation of of, of full cover. So this is just, I'm holding up mm. an example right now. And I know this is audio, so I'll explain it, but I have Ode to Classics in my Nocturnal Screams, which is like a chapbook series. So it's only what, 15,000 words, three short stories on a theme. And what, what you do is you upload your front cover. So I've paid for the front cover. I've got a nice, nice high, high res image for that. I just load the front cover and, and, the, and the tool. And I don't have to, I mean, I use InDesign as well. So I, I oftentimes I'll, I'll pay a designer for the front cover, but then I'll do the full cover up myself because I know how to do it. Mm-hmm. But this is done for me in like 50 seconds and I have a cover wrap and, and suddenly a whole bunch of books that I never bothered to waste time putting in mm-hmm. paperback. I can now go back and go, Oh, it only needs to be 64 pages. I'm going to make a paperback for everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and, 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 and I love that because then I have for in-person things or, you know, how people want authors to give you stuff all the time and they think you're rich. Well, you guys are, um, but, um, and, and it, <laughs> I mean, you, you guys do it really, really well. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, they, they think all authors are rich, right? Oh, yeah. you have a book, yeah. give it to me. Yeah. And so now I have a whole bunch of like books that cost, you know, three bucks Nothing, to make yeah. and they sell mm-hmm. for $5. Right. If I give that away, it only cost me three bucks. It didn't cost me five bucks or six bucks because that adds up. Right. You know, everyone wants a free book from you. You're like, um, how about support the starving artist over here? <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm my- starving because you're not supporting. Yeah. <laughs> my mom is, she has all my books and she gives them to everybody <clears throat> to yeah. read. Well, she gave the first one to a friend of, a pretty close friend of our family and uh 
the friend of the family message back and said, I love them. If she, if she has any more, I'd love to read them. <laughs> and I was like, my mom told me that she said, well, if you, do you have any more? I was like, yeah, on Amazon and they can go and buy. It. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Or get a a Kindle Unlimited. Or ask for it at the library. If you want it for free, go get it there. At least you're supporting me. Yeah. Even my mother doesn't understand, though. She's like, (laughs) it is interesting who buys your book and who doesn't. You you find out who understands the way publishing works and who doesn't. It's very interesting. (laughs) Or at the very least, if you're going to read it for free, could you please just go and leave me a review? A review, yeah. Goodreads or, I mean, I know Amazon's fickle about whether or not you bought it there, um, but, you know, at least like post a positive, share it on social media with my my universal book link, for God's sakes. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I will say that right now with Amazon, I mean, uh, Facebook, sorry, not Amazon. Facebook and all their glitchy stuff that's going on. I have heard from us from several people that their draft to digital links are not getting flagged. Like they're they're able to use those draft to digital links. So I haven't had an issue with it. I'm no I'm no expert expert on it, but I will tell you I have seen that in multiple groups that the draft to digital links are the ones that are not getting flagged right now. So. But speaking of not getting flagged, I mean, that's the other thing that um, non-Amazon vendors are pretty uh, tired of the fact that everyone only shares Amazon links mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and will share an Amazon link in the book that they upload direct to the platform. Yeah. Trust yeah. me, worked for Kobo <laughs> for a number of years, I saw it like nine times out of 10. And so a, a link like Universal Book Link is uh, accepted and embraced by the retailers because they the way know to it's, play nice. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like here, here it is everywhere. You you decide where to get it. Right. Um, and and so that's something that that um, I mean, what I do just just to let you know because I have half my books are traditionally published and the other half are self published. Is uh, with my books to read links, they're automatically put in the back of the book for you by D to D. But then I download the EPUB, I use Sigil, and then I go in and add because I've created universal book links for all my books mm-hmm. traditionally published. So I have a, a page that I just have in HTML. That's now all my books, universal book links. So it's nice. not, Oh no, no, I'm only going to have the ones that I self published yeah. <laughs> because I do know there's crossover readers who go, Oh, I like his ghost stories. Oh, cool. He has fiction too. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a, that Venn diagram of crossover yeah. readers mm-hmm. who are going to hopefully uh, not just ask for my mom for free books. Yes, <laughs> we all hope for that. Yeah. So circling back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier on the mistakes. So this is one of our favorite questions. Have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? Mm. Wow, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, constantly. Because <laughs> um, here's the reality. Every single mistake I make, and trust me, I have made tens of thousands mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. I, I made a dozen today already. Uh, and, and the day is relatively young as we're yeah. speaking, um, is learning from those mistakes is the, is the critical thing, right? I mean, you can make a mistake and screw things up, which I've done countless times, but actually learning from those mistakes. So actually looking at something, uh, I'll give you a concrete example. I, this is probably not the biggest one, mm-hmm. uh, but it's something that really, really strikes home is, is uh, the mistake that writers often make, uh, and, and I've made multiple times, is not understanding uh, that you're lying to your readers and you didn't realize it, that the cover was wrong, that the, yeah. even the title or description yeah. was wrong. And I got this from, and I know you're not supposed to read your reviews, but there was an Amazon review that said, 
this is not what I was expecting. It was, uh, it was, so Snowman Shivers was a short story collection that I, mm-hmm. I did of a couple dark humor tales about snowmen. And, and right there, dark humor tales about snowmen. But I called the subtitle was Scary Snowman Stories because I was going with alliteration. And I'm a horror writer, so I had to embrace that. And one of the reviews was, there's nothing scary at all. I actually laughed. I really enjoyed these stories. So it was a, it was a, a review that was not negative. It was, it was mm-hmm. positively critical, mm-hmm. but I read it and went, huh? And I looked at the cover and I looked at the subtitle and I went, Oh my God, I've been lying to readers. These aren't scary. They're dark humor. But mm-hmm. it's a different thing. So people probably avoided them. So, so I rebranded, had the cover redone and resubtitled it and also changed the description. And suddenly the right people are reading it. So I think, mm-hmm. And I made that mistake with a Canadian werewolf in New York. I made the yeah. first cover very literary because I was a, I was afraid of urban fantasy. I didn't think. Yeah. And then people are going, well, this reminds me of Jim Butcher's series. And this is blah, blah, blah. And I was like, it, well, it is a werewolf. So there are. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then and I'm like, hmm, called up uh, one of the cover designers I worked with. I'm like, hey, can you redo like five books in a series for me? I haven't even written two of them yet, but can you just do them all at once yeah. so you can brand it? Um, so I, I, I make, and, and to tell you what, before this, before this podcast even goes to air, I bet you I'll make another 20 really yeah. crappy mistakes, <laughs> but, but I hope I, I'll learn from them. Yeah. Yes. That's the key. It's, That's why we ask the question. One. Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. Because we all are like that. We've all made mistakes. And as long as you can learn from them, then it's right. fine. <laughs> and what about the opposite? What have, what have you done that you thought this is a home run and it turned out not to be? Well, that happens all the time too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did. I started this thing called uh, Free Friday Frights, which is more mm-hmm. of a content marketing play. Right. I started it a couple of years ago, where every Friday, because I write fiction and nonfiction, every right. Friday I would do a, a live reading of one mm-hmm. of my previously published stories, uh, or I would talk because I sold the, the rights to a traditional publisher. I couldn't just read it without their permission because they had audio rights. Don't get me started. That's a mistake I made when I signed those contracts. But um, uh, I could talk about that story because of the research I had, which I still own. Um, And and I I invested a lot of time for week after week after week after week uh, for months in Free Friday Frights thinking if I uh, invest this time and energy, it will come back to Mm -hmm. pay dividends. Now, I don't think it's a mistake, but I did, I, I had launched the weekly podcast around the same time. So every week I was putting out a podcast right. free, mm-hmm. uh, right? Which takes a lot of time, as you guys know, uh, time and yeah. energy. But then I was also doing free Friday frights. And again, because it was live, the podcast, I could at least pre-schedule and do, mm-hmm. not that I'm that good at it because I'm a procrastinator, but at least pre-schedule some of the interviews, uh, that portion. And, um, and I think I ended up wasting so much time on that. Now it did come back to help me in some ways because some of those videos are still being found and still being viewed. And and I do believe in the long term. Right. Um, but but I think I think I invested a lot more in it with the hope that it would actually lead. Not it's like a free first book in series is way more effective. Yeah. And I would have been better off spending that time mm-hmm. creating <laughs> creating a magnet, a reader magnet, just for people who've read this book. You want this? You can only get this story, right? Right? Like as opposed to just um, blatantly, uh, blatantly going, "Hey, everyone, look at this!" Right? Yeah. Like, that, that, it's, it's not you know that I've, I learned that the the hard way. Nobody wants that. 
Yeah. Nobody wants those unsolicited things. <laughs> well, sometimes you have to figure it out that way. You have to do it and then yeah. go, okay, this didn't work, but then what can we learn from it? What can we do yeah. to learn from it and go on? And I think that what's even more important too is like what, what tiny pieces of it did work and right. how can I take those things and make them into something different? Because, um, not everything is just a bust. I mean, there are usually mm-hmm. little things like I'm doing something now and I'm like, it's not like a home run, but it's not failing either. So I'm trying to look at it to see how I can, you know, right. move along and, and, you know, do something sort of different with that. Um, Cause you have several nonfiction books and uh, one of the recent ones is to help writers get to work with bookstores and libraries. So yes, yeah, if, yeah. if an author wanted to get started with that, what are some easy first steps they could take? Because it is yeah. kind of an involved process. Yeah. So <laughs> I think the good news for writers in the pandemic times that we're in is that if your book is available as an ebook to the library market, which I mean, you can easily do through draft to digital. You can, there are other ways to get in there too. I'm not saying that's the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the dramatic increase in library sales, because, you know, ironically, it was the ebooks that didn't come with a virus, but the print books might. (laughs) (laughs) um, That's cool. I I think a a key thing to to think about is remember that, um, so bookstores are a business that need to pay the rent and they have things to pay for. So think about them and what they need to sell to their customer and how your product and you can help sell it to customers. So think about that. Mm-hmm. Ask not what your bookstore can do for you, but ask what you can do for your bookstore is is a really good uh, JFK induced yeah. way to think about your um, that. And and as a bookseller, that's the other thing too. And and the, one of the, some of the ways you can help a bookstore is if you have a relationship with them, signed copies, right? Like, hey, yeah. you have a facility to ship things, especially during pandemic times where maybe there's no foot traffic in your store or it's limited, but you still have the facilities to ship things in and out. Why don't we work on signed copies? So instead of me having to worry about signing copies on my website, there'll be a link that order from your store. Call me. I'll swing by. We'll all wear masks. I'll sign copies. Then you get the sale. You know, and either whether it's consignment terms or whether like Sarah, it's fully returnable. They can just order it from Ingram, uh-huh. you know, which they already have an account. And they're already ordering from Ingram all the time because it's fast. Yeah. Um, that can work out well. Um, with a library as well. I think uh, the, the, they're not selling books, but they need the books to circulate. So one of the things I often, and this is advice for, especially if you've just left Kindle Unlimited and you have readers that are freaking out because they used to be able to read all your books for free in, in air quotes, because it's not really free. They're paying yeah, Amazon. They're paying Amazon. Um, is you say, well, ask for my book at the library. It's available in print and, and ebook uh, or audiobook as well if you have that. And, uh, and, and asking for my book at your local library actually helps me because it's not... Uh, sending a press release to the local bookstore to let them know, like a one sheet with your ISBNs. Huh. Rachel Amphlett does that really, really well. I learned that from her. Um, but also sending that same press release to libraries. Mm-hmm. and um, But not just sending it to them because librarians prefer that a patron actually mm-hmm. wants it. Mm-hmm. And don't just get people to ask for it at the library. Get them to check the damn thing out. We live in a world where we probably, as indie authors, make way more money from ebooks than we'll ever make from print, at least digitally. Mm-hmm. but the majority of readers out there still 
the majority of people have not who read have not read ebooks. I know it sounds weird because you know six and seven figure authors are like, but I sell this many ebooks a day. Yeah, <laughs> the reality is most people who read have still not read an ebook. Now it's changed a little bit more in pandemic, but it's it's not even close to 50 50. You know, if anything, it maybe got as high as 60 40, meaning 60% of the reading population are reading in print. Yeah. Uh, you wonder why traditional publishers seem to have their heads up their butts? It's because they're still making lots of money in print. Mm -hmm. And so I think understanding when you approach a bookstore and library, mm -hmm. uh, especially a bookstore that doesn't sell ebooks, understanding that they don't understand the ebook world the way you do. Right. They understand putting the right book in the right customer's hands. So uh, a relationship is really important, but also um, anecdotes. I know it's a small thing. So Sarah, for example, we were in Haslam's bookstore last year. I betcha the owner that we chatted with, we took selfies with them. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the whoever, the people who were working cash, the staff, I betcha at least a dozen times in the last year, they, when someone was looking for mystery titles in your you know niche, they went, oh my God, I've got the greatest book for you. <laughs> oh, and she was here last year. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. that's the kind, I know it's a, because it was a good experience. You, you weren't like uh, the ghost of Hemingway who allegedly haunts that, who used to go and take his books and put them face <laughs> out on the wrong shelf and put them like whatever and, and fight with the manager all the time. You were pleasant and uh, there's, a, there's a cute story that goes with it. And I did that as a bookseller for years. Mm -hmm. I would say, oh my God, did you know that this author, when they wrote this particular scene, they were at their you know, grandmother's cottage and they were looking at an old photo and that inspired this entire beautiful thing. Oh, wow. you know, and that's a story you put in, in the reader's head. And so suddenly you as the bookseller have connected the writer and the reader. Mm -hmm. yeah. And all those little things, I know it's, again, it's like content marketing. It's all it those is. little uh, nurturing relationships that can, that can pay it's, off in the long run. It's really hard to track. It's something that you can't, yeah. it's not really trackable, but it's like the momentum, it gets going. Like if you can get it going, if you can meet your local bookseller and yeah. develop a good relationship with them, then that can impact your sales in ways that you can't track, but it it can change what happens mm -hmm. and you just kind of have to try it. It's like some of the other stuff you're talking about, like you try it and if it works great and if it doesn't, then you just learn from it and go on. Right. Yeah, and at the very, at the very least, uh, at, at the very least, without any sales, you have cultivated a positive relationship with another mm -hmm. human. Yes, you made yeah. the world which is a better place. A good thing. Yeah, especially <laughs> in our world today, which is a little crazy. Yeah, but. instead of being divisive, you were bringing things together. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm, in the first two months of the pandemic, my print sales went up significantly. Significantly, I mean, print sales. Yes, my prints. People Sweet. were buying print books from me. My ebooks did not. My ebooks stayed pretty much the same. Everybody was like, oh, my ebook. Mine stayed the same, but my print books, I was selling. Really? I mean, I don't sell very many print books. So selling, you know, eight to 10 a day for couple of months. That was a lot. Well, see, I, a lot. People were probably going, oh my God, I need Jamie's books in case mm -hmm. I can't get them. I better yeah. stock up now. Yeah. Like I used to I do that up. in my library in my hometown because it would close for two months in the summer. So I would like get this stack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Strategically timed so yeah. to keep them all I don't know. I just think people were reading. They just weren't maybe reading eBooks. They, there yeah. were these people that were coming in going, oh, I need something to read. But they had like you were saying, they are not ebook readers; they're print readers. So they yeah. were buying print books. Well, that's yeah. cool. I, I haven't heard that. So thanks for sharing that, Jamie. That's, well, that's I, good I hadn't put it together until you said that because I remember thinking, "Why are my print sales going up?" I, it wow. just never 
I've heard a lot of people say that during the pandemic, they're going back to comfort reads and maybe there's just something too about having a print book versus an ebook. You know, I'm sure there were probably new readers picking up your books, but glass of wine, romantic comedy, right? Like, come on. Yeah. What better escape is there? There's nothing better. That's right. (laughs) And you can find all of Jamie's books at check the show notes for this episode. Exactly. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Um, so what's the most common mistakes you see other authors making, Mark? Uh, I think that the most common mistakes that a lot of authors make is they fail to, and it's kind of what we've been talking about, they fail to acknowledge that their IP. They're proudly independent authors, mm-hmm. but they, they, they only think about one format is like, Oh, it's just this ebook. And, and, and this was just like mind blowing when I was with Dean Wesley Smith and Chris Rush. Um, a couple of years ago, I think at this, at at one of the workshops that have been running in Vegas and, and, and we focused on leveraging your IP. So your intellectual property is this idea you have. It's not a book. Sure, 90% of what you do because you're a writer is a book, but it's all these other pieces and elements that could actually be additional streams of revenue associated with, with that. And so I think, you know, we talked about that earlier, Sarah, like, you know, large print and hardcover. So formats of the book are one Mm-hmm. beautiful way we as writers know already because it's our world how to exploit that IP. But what are some of the other ways? What are some of the other licenses? And so when you self-publish a book to Amazon or when you use Kobo or draft to digital or whatever, you're just licensing them the permission to sell your stuff and to, and they take a small cut and, and you make money off of it. What are the other ways you can license your ideas, your IP, your characters? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've seen so many ingenious ways and I know more are coming. Mm-hmm. There are more coming. I'm I'm in the process of wanting to license my uh, the the um, computerized uh, r- replica of my voice. Uh-huh. You know, there's a replica of my. I don't know if you heard Joanna Penn and I yeah. have uh, voice replicas. We, uh-huh. we shared that recently. You know, I'm I want I want to be on top of that. I want to be disrupting, not get disrupted. Yes. Right. So if you want to use my voice, because you know, in in some circles, I'm known as a industry guy and rah rah digital publishing. You know, if you want to use my voice for it, at least I want to get a cut. <laughs> if you're going to have me narrate your audiobook, but you're not going to pay me to narrate, because trust me, that's way too much work. Uh, you couldn't pay me enough. Well, you could. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to get a slice of that pie, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I absolutely. think thinking about your IP beyond the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, is critical. And also, I mean, I've made the mistake of signing away rights. Be it for the for the mm-hmm. privilege of getting a real publisher, yeah. just, you know, and 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 it's kind of yeah. like I've gotten some of those rights back because it's like, hey, dude, you said you're going to do an audiobook and it's been five years. Give me the yeah. rights back, or or get off the pot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've I've made that mistake uh, again. Christine Catherine Rush, uh, the Chris, uh, the Business Rush, the 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 weekly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I ended up buying a book of of that, and the second time I signed a contract. I put in a 12 clauses. I was like, I want to change these 12 clauses. They changed 10 of them. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, ask. If yeah. you don't ask, you definitely won't get. Yeah. yeah exactly. uh, so those are some of the things. I'll tell you, Pippa Grant is very good at that. She, she really is always thinking outside the box. She's using her IP in different ways. And um, I just, I really admire that. I mean, it takes a lot of, brain power that sometimes I don't have, but I think she has somebody kind of helping her a little bit now, but for the most part, she, they're just ideas that come to her and 
she's not afraid to try. And I love that. I love that when, when authors yeah. really do that and um, try to get the most out of their IP. Yeah. 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 That's great. So do you see any commonalities in writers that have been successful over the long haul? Do you see anything that, um, well, long haul is the key. I think the yeah. writers who are successful in the long haul are thinking often. And and why? You know, you're talking about that while well, like they needed to escape, right? This mm-hmm. is this is what they want to read about. They don't want to read about a pandemic right now. They want to read about what? about people falling in love and happily ever afters with what? a few funny things because funny things happen to all of us. Right. Um, so I think uh, I think a lot of it comes down to respecting yourself and respecting your readers, um, and and authors who respect both themselves, like respecting your IP, but respecting your readers and 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 thinking of those things um, are, are consistent. I think um, worrying less about what's happening today on my dashboard, and and worrying more about long term. And going back to Kevin Kelly's One Thousand True Fans. Mm-hmm. I would rather lose a sale today to gain a full-time lifelong fan mm-hmm. in the future. And, and I've had that experience multiple times where I did something ironic. I did something in 2006 mm-hmm. that a podcast, ironically, wait, back in early, early days of podcasting back when they used to chisel podcasts on stone. <laughs> <clears throat> and, um, and I remember being at an event again, an out of box thinking where I, I rented a, a booth at a, brewery on a Saturday to sell, I may, may as well hang out and drink beer. Well, why not sell books while I'm there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and somebody came up and said, Mark Leslie, I remember you from this podcast, like from a dozen years ago. And, and, and then I ended up giving him a book, like, here's a free download code. So you can, what do you, what do you like to read? He's like, oh, here, check out this thriller. And he went inside, downloaded it to his phone on the free app. And, um, came back and wanted to buy the book. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you, I just gave it to you for free. And he's like, no, no, I, I want to have an autograph. So mm-hmm. um, that gentleman went on to become a long-term writer, reader who now buys every single book I write. So if, I, if I'd been worried about selling him one book that day, mm-hmm. I might've made a sale. Right. I made a really bad impression as a pushy jerk. <laughs> right. Uh, but instead, I was like, no, 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 let's get you the right book. Oh, here, do you, you like thrillers? Here, take this for free. Check it out. And again, that's why having these little mini books are good. It's like, it only cost me, like, it cost me a $5 sale. Right. Here, check it out. If you like it, give me a good review or, or tell your friends or whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. not doing it for reciprocity, but doing it because you're like, oh, I think you're going to like this. Right. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, Authors who do that, uh, who push other authors, right? Saying, well, I don't write that kind of book, but oh my God, my friend Jamie writes this or Sarah writes that. And you guys are going to have a really good time with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that kind of respect for yourself and respect for the reader goes way further than going, oh, I'm hitting refresh on my dashboard and worried about <laughs> today's sales. Yeah. yeah. There is a grab mentality right now, I think. And, you know, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm as guilty of it as anybody is, but, and, uh, but I think thinking long-term is over the last few months, that's really what's really kind of been going over and over in my mind, you know, long-term, like I am my own author. I am my own brand. I am not like these people. I'm not like these people. There are some people like me, but there is something about me that stand that is different. And then just cultivating and working on that for the long haul. But it, it's hard. 
it's hard. Uh, I was just saying for the intro that we just did for the next podcast that, you know, I've had to stay off social media this week because I'm in the middle of writing a book. It takes me forever. And so I constantly feel like I'm behind because I'm, right. I'm not able to do the things that other people are able to do. And it, but it is that grabbing mentality, I think. But, but what you've done there, Jamie, is you've invested in yourself and your readers because yeah. they're looking forward to your next book and you're yeah. looking forward to your next book. You're investing in that long-term relationship right. Right. as opposed to whether it's a, a funny cat video, whether it's one of my amazing dad jokes that I share in social media, <laughs> or whether it's uh, you know getting pissed off because of some political yeah. backstabbing of each other yeah. that's going on. Um, right. You've invested in something that's a lot more valuable. Right. and well, I hope we'll make so. the world a better place. Think, yeah. When you think, think about that, you've created mm -hmm. these stories that are going to help people regardless yeah. of what's happening. Uh, they can either escape into it because they want to escape the reality or they can uh, celebrate yeah. <laughs> the reality and go, now I can relax and enjoy yes, a good book. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I think we all have the ability to do that. Not just me because I write comedy. People who love mm -hmm. mystery love to escape into Sarah's books. People who love the horror and the, yeah. the urban fantasy type books that you write. Same thing. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. we have to recognize that we we do have that power i mean we do have mm -hmm. power ability is probably a better word but you know and to in cultivating that cultivating mm -hmm. that ability yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. a great answer yeah so what do you do to set yourself up for success mark i i think the, the the one thing that i did to set myself up for success was i never i never allowed myself to get to a point to think that i couldn't learn mm. And, and, and I learned this from Harry Bosch, from a fictional <laughs> character that Michael Conley created, who yes. is just as real to me as, as a dear friend, is that everybody counts or nobody counts. And the reality that I, I try very hard to embrace is when I'm doing a, a workshop, and I often do a lot of presentations to first-time authors, mm -hmm. is I know that just as much as people are, are going to learn from me, there's not a single person in that room that can't teach me something that I don't know or that I can't get better from. And if I ever lose track of that, if I ever think I know it all, I've lost, I've lost it all. Uh, so that's what I try to do to set myself up for success is I try to recognize that I can learn and benefit from, even if we don't have the same point of view, I can right. still benefit from the something that you bring to yeah. this world. And it doesn't have to be writing, really. It could be a personal right. Right. thing. It could be a, a meditation tip. It could be a, <laughs> wow, this is such a cool uh, hack for vacuuming my house. Like it, does, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. uh, recognizing that there's always something you can learn from other people, I think, is, is how I've tried to set myself up for success. That's right. That's wonderful. Good. It's yeah. a great note to end on. Yes, it is. <laughs> so where can people find out more about you and your books? Uh, I'm at markleslie.ca, uh, okay. and the Canadian. Oh, that's great. Okay. And your awesome. name of your book about the libraries and the bookstores? Uh, it is uh, an author's guide to working with libraries and bookstores. I was really tricky with the title. I <laughs> yeah. tried to be, you know, elusive. <laughs> <laughs> really and is that under it? Mark Leslie or is that under Mark? So I, I went with Mark Leslie Lefebvre because uh, Mark Leslie is the guy who writes the other cool. stuff. Yeah. And Lefebvre, I'm known, well, it, when people, and you guys did it well, but when people uh, know Mark, whatever that guy's <laughs> name is, they know me in the industry as that. So I decided to embrace the full 
the full Monty for, uh, for those nonfiction books on writing and publishing. Excellent. 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 Well, we will have all the links in the show notes so people uh-huh. can find them there and they will be at wish I'd known then for writers.com. Thank you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Bye everybody. Thanks for listening to the wish I'd known then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.